Hi, everybody. Just a quick announcement before we get started today. If you're a Canadian financial advisor or planner who's fed up with their technology platform or just looking to make improvements in their tech platform, I got the event for you. One of my associations, the Financial Planning Association of Canada, is sponsoring the very first Canadian Advisor Tech Expo. It is a three-day event where you'll be able to see and hear from various vendors and various verticals as to what they have to offer people in this space. So if you're interested in checking it out, please visit the website at www.advisortechexpo.ca. And now on to today's show. Welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, we have another prominent crypto player. I have Danelle Dixon, CEO and Executive Director of the Stellar Development Foundation. Stellar is one of those coins that's been around, or altcoins has been around for a while and has some very interesting use cases I'm looking forward into diving into. And with that, here's my interview with Danelle. Danelle, thanks for taking the time today. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm happy that you're happy. So that works out. So Danelle Dixon, tell us about the Stellar Development Foundation and Stellar itself. Yeah. So the Stellar Development Foundation is a nonprofit, non-stock entity that's sole mission and sole focus is on the development of the ecosystem around the Stellar network and also shepherding the code base for the Stellar network. The mission that we have, the statement is creating equitable access to the global financial system. And the way that we focus on doing that is making sure that we can leverage the Stellar network to be able to have the interoperability with the existing financial rails. That was a lot of stuff that I need to unpack because it wasn't wasn't actually a lot of words, but there's a couple of very key big ones that we're going to talk about for a while. So not unlike other cryptocurrencies, there's a mission or purpose behind why they were created and there's a foundation supporting them and shepherding it. And that's, that's what you're essentially you're doing. Can you tell me about what led to the development of Stellar? Stellar Network was actually co-founded with Jed McCaleb, who had been in the industry for quite a while. He created Stellar and the the code base for Stellar, and then the donated the lumens to the foundation to be able to shepherd the code base and work with the with the network and all the ecosystem participants. So we've been around. We actually just celebrated Stellar's seventh birthday last week, so that was very exciting. We've been around for a long time. Cryptosphere, seven years is a while. (laughs) It's a long time. So the really the focus of the network and what Jed actually originally intended it to be was focused on cross-border payments and to make it really simple for asset issuance so that you could actually make those cross-border payments simple and efficient and to work. I mean, Jed is very, he commonly will say that the reason why he wanted to make this happen is he thought that value and money should actually flow just as easily as emails do. So you should be able to send from one place to another just as simple as you can send an email today. And so that is really the focus and that's why it was created. And that's what we continue to be focused on, which is payments and asset issuance. So I've had lots of global payment systems, everything from, you know, WISE and traditional spheres to now you. And I'm going to reiterate as to why, because it's a very important note. The global remittance system is enormous. The amount of money crossing borders, whether it be people sending money to support people back home or even for transaction transactional purposes, is substantial. In fact, World Bank estimates remittance is somewhere around $702 billion in 2020, roughly. And of that, the cost of remittances are estimated in U.S. on average to be about 5.22%. So there is a lot of fat to those margins. That's why a lot of fintechs have stepped into that space. And that's why a cryptocurrency that basically helps facilitate that in a more efficient transaction is just something that's going to end up with more money in people's pockets, which especially because, again, this is my little diatribe, especially because we're talking about typically remittances into countries of need, that can be life-altering to these people. 
Well, I mean, you hit it on the head. I mean, the really significant issue is the remittance market. And the big challenge is the fact that it's so, there are so many fractures in getting money from one place to another. The system is not seamless. And each border has its own system. And so right now, those systems sometimes don't talk to, to one another very well. And then there's the cost of it, which I, you said 5.5.5%. I think 5. sometimes yeah. it can... It can be upwards of six to seven percent, and that just depends on the country that you're in. And so those fees, when you think about sometimes you're only seven sending a hundred dollars or even less, they're pretty significant. And so really what this system allows you to be able to do is to leverage stable coins. There's lots of stable coins that are issued on Stellar. And so these these coins are like USDC and so that the dollar issued stable coin, but they're also in other jurisdictions. We have those as well. And that you can actually send the stable coin so that you don't actually have to worry about any volatility in the cryptocurrency market itself. And that actually allows for a lot of stability for these uh, transactions to take place. And then you know that from the developer standpoint, the cost on Stellar, you can send over 100,000 transactions for less than a penny. So developers will add different fees on and there will be fees that have to be charged for the consumer side. But it's hopefully, I mean, the, the notion is, is that it's so much less than the five to 7% that we see today. It's just it's the old uh, Jeff Bezos saying, if your margin is my opportunity, I would just say that in this case, um, it is a opportunity that basically, again, just five points doesn't seem like it's a big number. It doesn't seem like that big a number necessarily, but $5 in a developing country goes a very, very long way. And frankly, robo minutes problems have been around forever. If anyone's ever studied economic history, this was a problem that was partially solved by the Knights Templar back in the day. And even some of the biggest banking fortunes in history, including the Rothschilds and the, and the, the Medici's, a lot of, you know, they did a lot of banking, but it was gold remittances, moving money between one country to another and being able to safely transfer that money or access money somewhere else. It's been a problem as long as people have been moving from one place to another. So it's not surprising that we've come a long way since then and that we're now using the likes of a cryptocurrency that can transact the pennies. So let's now get to the reason why there's a need for Stellar beyond the actual use case. And we'll come back to the use case. So there are other cryptocurrencies. Technically, you can do this with Bitcoin. What advantage does Stellar bring that other cryptos do not? You think about the, I like to think about it and what's the, the consumer and the developer experience. There's speed. So the transactions are completed in two to three seconds so that you can actually get it across the, you get one value, you get the value sent from my wallet to your wallet literally in three seconds, which is pretty remarkable and also limits the challenge with things that can happen along the way. So there's speed, there's cost. The idea that the 100,000 transactions can be sent for less than a penny from the developer side, that allows the developer room to be able to charge the fees that it needs to charge on top of it, but not get anywhere near the 7%, 5 to 7% that we see in the current market. There's also just the notion that blockchain actually creates like security and it's a public immutable record so mm -hmm. that you can always make sure that these transactions are taking place. There's no fear that something happened in the process because you could see it on the blockchain within three to within two to three seconds to see it happen. So it's really all of these issues that come together and the fact that it's a language that actually allows this interoperability. So that you don't actually, you have interoperability with the existing financial rails. You don't have to replace them. It actually keeps it really simple so that you can interoperate with banking infrastructure in Nigeria, as well as banking infrastructure in Europe. And really what's happening is the user could be using the blockchain to be able to facilitate that transaction, but then the money could just be wired into their account and so that they don't actually experience anything differently in the end. So it's a really seamless process and it, oper it creates this opportunity to truly have a global financial system that doesn't exist today. 
Yeah, I mean, it doesn't exist because it was developed in a bunch of fragmented silos. So that makes sense. And the interoperability, and I see where you're coming from. The reality is, is at some point, the crypto transaction needs to leave the blockchain to enter other be fiat or the existing payment rails or whatever it is, right? So if you can crack the nut on, on basically crossing that bridge in an effective and cost-effective manner, you just open up the number of kind of endpoints specifically, right? Yeah. And I also think that one of the important pieces, why Stellar, just to get back to another point on that, is that the notion that we have asset issuance on Stellar, and it's so simple to issue any asset on Stellar, you can have it be gold-backed if you want to. You can have it be backed by your local fiat. You can have it be uh, mm-hmm. you know, algorithmic. You can have lots of things available. But the notion of having stable coins actually creates an opportunity for that stability that I mentioned so that you don't actually have to worry that when you send a transaction at the time you send, the cryptocurrency might've been worth 10 cents, but then when you got it there, it was only worth eight. So I think that that's an important part to be able to leverage the asset issuance piece on Stellar to be able to make it happen so that you can create what you just talked about is this notion of everybody getting access to this without having to, you know, get into the the morass of what the financial system looks like in all the different countries. I think that that's one of the most important things to think about too, is that when you have, right now, we think about the financial system from where we sit, wherever that might be, but it's really hard to think about in certain countries. And even frankly, in the US, you actually might not be able to get a bank account. So you can't participate in the global financial system at all. And with the blockchain, you can have it be on your wallet. You can have a digital wallet that can actually hold all the value that you need to be able to transact with. And the barriers to entry for that wallet are not the same as that you might not, you don't need to have minimum balance requirements. You don't need to pay certain fees that you do with bank accounts. A lot of women are excluded, for example, from the financial system here, even in the US, because they're, they work in non-traditional work environments and they can't supply the kinds of materials you need to be able to get a bank account. Well, blockchain doesn't exclude you from that. So the opportunity is huge for that kind of inclusion. Yeah. And I would say that the stability point, let's go right back to that. That is so vital. If you're going to send a dollar, you want it to be a dollar when it arrives. And there's, there must be the old joke when the first really big Bitcoin run up happened where son asked dad for Bitcoin. Dad says, $40,000 is a lot of money. Why do you need $25,000? You know, $35,000 doesn't grow on trees. And you know, that was, that's exactly right. So the stability factor, it's dead in the water without that, quite honestly, and the growth piece. As much as you can use some of these other ones without that aspect, you're right. So talk to me about the implementation cases that you've seen thus far. So we've already crossed over why it exists, why it's superior, why it fits the use case better altogether, and how it's, you know, the interoperability is, again, another, another ability to access more endpoints. But where has this been used effectively to date uh, or one of the, some of the more successful cases you've seen? Yeah, so what I love to think about, this is the other thing that I think that blockchain and particularly an open decentralized blockchain are so really amazing for, is that you can actually have local developers developers focus on their local problems. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think that we forget sometimes in tech, you know, back in the old days of the internet, you had a lot of Silicon Valley was building for the world. And that's actually not the way that things should be. It should be solving local problems with local solutions. So one of the things that I, one of the companies that I like to point to is Leaf Global and Leaf Global is a, they've won, uh, they've been at awards from the Stellar Community Fund, but they've also won awards from other entities that are out there because what they're focused on is a really local problem with refugees. So refugees, if you think about the challenges that they might have, is that they're crossing over borders all the time to get out of the countries that they can no longer be in. And they'll get robbed blind if they carry any real financial asset with them. 
Exactly. And so from that standpoint, like what they've created is this digital wallet that folks can use when they're crossing borders. They can put their assets in the digital wallet and they can cross over borders safely and securely and still have the same value that they had when they left the first country. And that's a really interesting use case. It's a local use case that's solving a problem that is really prevalent for many, many people. So I love that one because it's thinking really, really on the the, the solutions. Hyper-specific problems. Yeah. yeah. And that's and what blockchain allows one. you to do. Exactly. It's interesting. I mean, I've seen I've seen that use case done before in other in other things you would never even imagine. I mean, like it used to be that you try to travel across a country with gold jewelry and that was your way of transporting it. But if you're entering countries in sketchy ways because you are a refugee, that sort of thing is not an option. And I mean, I, there's even case studies of people having done it with things like URLs. Right, buy up a bunch of URLs that basically are on a secondary market, and you know you're going to get roughly the same price, or hopefully the same price somewhere around that. But actually knowing that you're essentially going to get back what you put into it, talk about a difficult enough situation for these people. But having at least one less headache on that degree yeah. of financial stability, again, life altering. And the same is true for if you think about migrant workers that let's use California, for example, they come into California for the day, they work during the day, then they go transfer back across the border into yep. Mexico for the at the evening to go be with their family. There's a wallet that is focused on allowing users to be able to put their to, uh, to receive their pay in digital assets. They can cross the border safely. And then they can also leverage this wallet. It's called Beacos. They can leverage this wallet to pay their local utility, I mean their utilities for their house. So these are, again, like local problems because they're trying to solve it and make it simple for them to be able to use those without paying a lot of fees to be able to get things. Normally you do a wire or you go to any kind of money transmitter and you get that, you pay those fees, but then you also have to pay fees every time you're making payments. Well, here you actually don't have to do that because you can use the wallet to make the payments. So these are just like really very local use cases, but they're this is the, the beauty of blockchain is it, is it allows and, and all of these local developers to, to look at the problems that they see around them and fix them in ways that make sense for their communities. And do so on a global network. That's the crazy part of it, right? It's we can sit here in Western society and wax philosophical about how we think these things should be used or could be used. But it's the old generals versus privates problem. If you're on the ground and you understand the problem or you live the problem yourself, you understand it in a way that the rest of us are never going to. I mean, I what I've ever contemplated this being a specific use case or a niche. I mean, absolutely, I've, I've heard of it. I'll use crypto use, but the use of a stable coin is so much more appealing in that regard. Yeah, and that's the that is the. I mean, these use cases I could talk about them all day because there's so many of them, and I think that they're so fascinating, and I love the creativity and the innovation from them. But then there's also the very general use cases that we know about, where you actually need to get money from Nigeria and you need to get it to the U.S. and you're a business and you have vendors in the U.S. or Europe that you need to pay, oh, so and the blockchain is the fastest way to do that with the least amount of fees. And your vendors on the other side don't necessarily need to understand that blockchain is how you got it to them because it just goes into their bank account. So there are anchors that sit on the edges of the network that are able to do this kind of transfer of value very, very seamlessly. And it ends up going from one bank account using the blockchain to another bank account on the other side. And it just solves business problems. So I think that the versatility of the technology is something that I think we we sort of all we sort of all need to be in awe of because it's so awesome that it can do this. And people always talk about the promise of blockchain or the opportunity of blockchain. And I say it's actually happening today. Like this is these transactions are happening on Stellar today. These wallets are built on Stellar today and they're actually leveraging the technology and solving the problems for these users. And for the most part, they're using stable coins to do so. 
Yeah. And that has been one of the coolest aspects of this podcast is I went from a period a couple of years ago of just hearing some of these absolute pie in the sky, just use cases that, you know, many of them never saw the light of day because they were just too out there, but still knowing and understanding the promise of all this stuff and, yeah. and the potential for all this. And, and now being able to talk to companies and foundations where, no, 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 no. We're not talking hypotheticals. People are using this today right now, and it's solving very real problems in ways that they could not get around it before. Like it's, I get the chronological, I get the basically chronicle that in real time. That's a privilege. So the first one you found was pretty damn good. Any other interesting use cases for things you never would have? Actually, what's the most surprising use case you've seen in your opinion? So I, I don't know that it's surprising. It surprised me at first, but I think that it's actually, it makes sense. There's this company called Realty Bit. And so they actually buy property all over the world. And then they have fractionalized interest that you can actually purchase, tokenized fractionalized interest of these properties from anywhere in the world. So it's not surprising that this exists, but the simplicity and the ability, the ease of use to be able to purchase these tokens that represent the fractionalized interest in these properties is pretty remarkable. And they're they're expanding and doing a bunch of different things. They've actually been on Stellar for several years um, since I've actually been at Stellar, which I've been here about two and a half years, they've been here and they're just growing and changing their business. One, I will say that I, that where it does surprise me is I have had several conversations with firms in this space and interviewed one or two. And yes, the use of blockchain comes up as a possible or one of the architectures that they're using in order to do that. Piggybacking off an existing infrastructure like Stellar, I mean, typically they basically take ERC and build their own coin. The fact that they're choosing to work within your network on a, of a stable coin, I think that's that's the interesting application that they basically said, you know, no, no, we're not going to do this ourselves. We have Stellar. We can piggyback off of them. And essentially, we know that that price is going to be struck based on market and not other, other things. So it makes a lot of sense. I haven't quite seen that yet. Yeah, that one's really cool. And then another one that I really like is called Bstock. And the reason why I find this interesting is it's truly bringing the thing that we that we talk about all the time, which is financial inclusion for everyone. Through Bstock, you can actually purchase blue chip stocks and you can even purchase fractionalized interest of blue chip stocks anywhere in the world. So you can be in in South Africa and you can decide you want to purchase a bit of a, you know some of Apple. And that's not something that folks had the opportunity to be able to do. And so that is truly supporting the mission and the growth. And, you know, some might say that that's, yes, not everybody can afford stock. Well, that might be true, but now everybody can, if they can afford stock, they can purchase it. And so I think that that's a really interesting way to really bring folks into the financial system in a way they couldn't before. Yep. And it's interesting. We're already seeing fractionalized ownership apply to traditional custodians and vendors and still with minimum transaction sizes in a lot of cases. And now the innovation or the move towards direct indexing, which requires fractionalization to work. But it's it's interesting to me that that use case just said, yeah, we're not waiting for you. We can buy a single security and split it up a million ways. We're just going to do that. And and frankly, yeah, like it, the innovation can move faster than the incumbents in so many ways, just when you, when you take that attitude. So natural use case makes a lot of sense. I think all equities will be one day traded or all financial assets will be traded on a blockchain, but I'm glad to see they didn't wait around. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that, and I I do, I agree with you. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for securitized assets and equities to be available on, on all blockchain. And then I guess I should actually talk a little bit about one that I know very, very well, because it's one that we've built internally and it's called Vibrant. And Mm -hmm. Vibrant is focused in Argentina. 
And it's really an opportunity to be able to hold your assets against the inflation that happens all the time and the devaluing of the currency that happens all the time in Argentina. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure I know where this is going, but continue. <laughs> so you can convert your local currency into a digital asset and then convert yep. that into USDC and hold it in USDC in your wallet. And through that, you'll be able to know that it is based on the dollar and it's ba- and those dollar assets are backed one-to-one. As you know, Circle is the entity that... that uh, issues USDC. So then they can transfer it back into your local currency when you need to use it, but you don't have to hold it in your house anymore. A lot of folks in Argentina don't want to put it in the bank accounts. Um, so they can actually hold it in this digital form in USDC and they can keep stable as the market in the local currency goes up and down. And I think that that's, uh, again, like this is a local challenge that that, yeah. that we might not always see, but they're able to solve this by utilizing the Vibrant app. So as you can tell, like one of my favorite things about what blockchain can do is really focusing on the breadth of challenges and the solutions based on technology, but also really getting down to the the, the needs of the local uh, participants in the network. And that's the thing that I think actually Really, we can do well when we have a global, open, decentralized exchange and network like uh, Stellar. Yeah. And again, I'll go back to the, you know, we in Western society have a hard time wrapping our heads around some of these things. But when you're in a situation whereby you're in a hyperinflation scenario, okay, great, I'll switch to another currency. But then where do you where do you put all your life savings in that currency, which becomes more and more valuable every day, given the hyperinflation and dealing with financial institutions in those kinds of countries, it's entirely possible governments pass taxes on taking money out. There's plenty of countries where, you know, it's going to cost you a significant percentage to make a withdrawal from a bank because that's their primary means of collecting tax revenue. So problems we don't think about, but my goodness, you know, when you, you look at, look at the ability to take such a technology and have such a meaningful impact on people's lives. Fantastic. No wonder it's one of your favorite success stories. Yeah. It's my, my favorite thing that we can do. And I think that if you think about why Jed's, why Jed founded Stellar and the Stellar Development Foundation, really focusing on the, the value, being able to change hands as easily as you can send email, that's essentially what we're doing and what the network actually allows. And all these amazing creators and innovators all over the world, sometimes with us, because they reach out and we, and the part of the foundation's work is that we support the folks who are building on the network. And we do that all free of charge. Like we support them in, in terms of providing technical support, sometimes grants. We have lots of opportunities for folks to, to get marketing grants or yeah. user development grants, those kinds of things from the foundation. But we also just, sometimes they just do it all on their own. And when they do yeah. that, it's even more exciting because I just then get just really thrilled to see like our documentation's really strong. So that folks can actually build on us on Stellar without actually needing any connection to the SDF. Well, makes sense. I mean, if there's an area where both uh, network dynamics and platform effects come into effect, it is in the world of crypto because the clearly the old Bill Gates definition of a platform is something where the net cumulative value of the platform of people building on your software actually exceeds the value of your software itself, and that's that's what happens across the board here in many cases. And then. The network effects of if you can get this into as many countries and as many relevant use cases, it becomes the easier thing to use because that extra node, uh, you know, the work that was done for everybody else to get on. Now I'm plugging into a network that's already hugely substantial and can cross into traditional rails. Powerful, very, very powerful. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. I think one of the important things that we've tried to do with the focusing on the network and the network needs is really create those financial institutions that are on the edges and create relationships with them. 
so that we do have the on and off ramps. And I think that that's one of the most, the largest challenges with blockchain generally is to have those on and off ramps. And so that's been a lot of our core focus for the last several years is making sure we have those financial institutions that are regulated. Some of them are issuing local stable coins based on their assets, like the Mexican peso or the Argentinian uh, local key, local, the fiat. Um, they have We have lots of these issuers, but we also have them just to be able to go on and off the blockchain because that's one of the things that it's hard to do if unless you have someone who can support that work in the local country. So uh, you have this global yeah. network with these partners that create this, the, the on and off ramps. And then from there, everyone can just build on it and it can just grow. Yeah, no, it's, um, you know, it's, it's nice to have. It's nice to have that thing sitting in, you know, no, in, in the in the net and basically be able to trade amongst it and work, work in your echo chamber there. But being able to cross that bridge into real life is vital for the scaling of anything. And clearly that was a target from day one for you guys. Yeah, it was. And it still is. It's one of the things that we spend a lot of our time and energy on is working with not just the financial institutions that are already building that we want to build on the network, but we also spend a lot of time with regulators, and policymakers all over the world to make sure that they understand that there's no idea here to supplant their existing financial structure. It's just to enhance it and to integrate it and to make it interoperable. Yeah. Boy, talk about a hot button for way. regulators. My goodness, know. Uh, like it's uh, you know telling them, <laughs> no, we're here to help, not to uh, not uh, we're, not, we're we're not the um, anarchists that some of the other <laughs> coin junkies are. So it's uh, it's a different message. Yeah, it's been. I think it's been really great. And you know, we still have a long way to go in the U.S. even to make this regulatory environment easy and beneficial for all of the different opportunities that we have. But we're going to focus here, and also we'll continue our focus outside the U.S. as well. Actually, that brings a, a very interesting question: Is how much reticence are you seeing from them when you first approach them? I mean, if you if you're dealing with these people on a regular basis, they have a lot coming out. They don't necessarily understand the technology of it. Their mandate does not necessarily match up with this fully. And how much? reticence or how much cooperation are you finding in general? Yeah. So I think it's really important. And this comes from my, you know, I was a, the COO of Mozilla for many years and spent tons of time speaking mm. with regulators and policymakers in that role, focusing on the open web. So leveraging that experience, I think sometimes what technologists don't do is remember that we have a responsibility and an obligation to provide that education and that background to the regulators and the policymakers so that they're, they have a big job that they're doing a lot of things out there. And so we need to spend time making sure that the, op, that, that the information is available and that we're willing to partake in those discussions. And I think that this industry, the blockchain space, has done a really nice job of that, particularly in the last six months to a year, of really being there to uh, support and sometimes challenge the ideas of regulators that, that have come out, particularly in the US, I see a lot of it, but also in other countries. The reticence is mostly just the fact that they want to make sure that they're creating consumer protection ideals for the folks that are engaging with this technology. Yeah. And I think that there's also a lot of, there's concern around the fact that they want to make sure that folks understand how they what they're engaging with, particularly when it comes to the crypto assets themselves. But I think that the technology layer, the focusing on blockchain and what blockchain can do and what it's already doing in certain countries, they're very open and excited about that. And they mm -hmm. see the value of it and they really want to bring it to their, their constituencies. So I think about it as this, I need to be able to tell them all of the cool things that are happening and that we can do with this technology so that they want it for their constituents 
rather than be fearful of having it. And so sometimes compliance comes into play that we need to think about the compliance vectors that are available on the blockchain on Stellar itself. And sometimes it's just really about like, what is it that this, what problems can this solve? Because it can't solve all of them, but it can solve many of them when it comes to the um, financial infrastructure. So I've been very uh, excited by those conversations. And so I think it's, there's reticence, but we need to get past it with education. Yeah. And for those of you who don't understand the, the challenge of that, just go ahead and look up Sandra Pichai's subcommittee hearing in front of the Senate and how hilariously bad that went. The reality is, is that elected officials in most cases and people who are overseeing committees are not necessarily very tech versed. And for us to basically think that they're just going to learn on their own accord when they've got a million other things to do in governing is wrong. And the reality is that it's just like educating your users, educating the regulators is sometimes necessary simply because there's just too much for them to look at, quite honestly, in most cases. And I think that we sometimes have a little bit of chip on our shoulder that we think that folks should actually come to the conversations more educated than they can be. But this is stuff that we live and breathe every day. We don't live and breathe everything that the regulators are working on every day. Um, I can I can assure everyone of that. And so we need to just, one of the things that I always, and one of the things I've loved that of the, over the last year is to see yeah. blockchain use cases being very focused on how user experience being a key to it. And so when I think about that and think about user experience, it's the same thing when you're talking to regulators and policymakers. The experience that they have with us in terms of the engagement, really it's gonna like change their change the direction of what happens with respect to it. So I think it's just as important. And then there's precedent. I mean, look at look at how much uh, the likes of you know Al Gore basically greased the wheels on some of the stuff that basically started the like got the internet going. Right? We need political support. We can't just act like we're just going to basically do this without them because they can throw up roadblocks in any number of countless ways. And they will. And they will. And they have. China banning this stuff is just a simple example. But good luck there. But that said, there must be a strategy around that though that's very focused on banning everything but theirs. So I mean, I think that there's like a. Well, when they sophisticated when it comes to these things. Well, that's very true. I mean, they are developing their own uh, their own centralized cryptocurrency for for absolute control of their their economy, and they do have the great firewall, which gives them the more potential than anyone else to actually shut something down, possibly. But (laughs) yeah, there'll there'll be a use case for Stellar somewhere there. I can pretty much assure. (laughs) Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So before we wrap up, and we've done a wonderful job, I think, of covering the value proposition, what makes you different, and, and showing some like really meaningful, impactful things and in, in areas that people going through some horrible things in life, and and the fact that you're able to make that that difficult time just a little bit easier, you know, by not having to worry about things like carrying money over borders, which again, it's we don't think about that difficulty, but my God, is it there when you have it? So before we wrap up, there's three questions I ask everybody. And essentially, just to end on a positive note and get you thinking. The first one is, if you had one wish for something you can change in the foundation or the industry as a whole, what would it be? I think it would be the education factor, like education for consumers, education for developers, education for policymakers, all the different audiences that we had. I wish that we had started earlier with that education, earlier keeping it very simple, because again, they don't need to understand the technology layer. Not everybody does. We don't understand all the inner workings of how HTTPS works, and yet we still use the internet every single day. What we really need to focus on are the value propositions and what what the technology solves. And so I think if we had started earlier on that, we would have actually sort of maybe bypassed some of the fear that we have, at least domestically uh, in the U.S. and also, I think, in some other countries around it. Um, so that's what that's my wish. But I feel like we're getting there now. So it's OK. Like, you know, it just takes time. And sometimes we get so excited about technology that we forget about, like, really, it's the use cases that actually tell us the story. But I think we're there today. 
Absolutely. Second question for you is what's been the biggest challenge in getting to where the foundation is today? Network effects. I think that it's so amazing. I took this role because I loved the work that I did at Mozilla, focusing on the growth of the web and like really and and how the and how the web can grow and focusing on open technologies. And we started off here really thinking like the the fact that we were just supporting this network, which is this you know really awesome amount of code that's pulled together to do really phenomenal things. But what you really need to understand is that network effects are the the thing that are going to make you win or the things that are going to challenge you. And so we're constantly challenged every day with network effects. But because of that, it allows you to meet new people, to bring new parties and new players into the network, to constantly be thinking about if we bring this entity in, what other two entities do we need to bring in to make them successful? And the value is that is that you're constantly being strategic and you're constantly thinking about growth. And so it's really fun, but it is a challenge. I have no doubt. And I will say this much. I constantly get asked about different coins and whatnot. And I'm like, look, I'm not going to give you an opinion. The only thing I'm going to tell you is that you want to know who survives. You want to know who wins. Look at the network effects. Look at the number of nodes. Look at the number of people invested in the existence of that network. And the reality is that they have a vested interest in keeping it going and they will find ways. Right. There was a, um, you know, there's a saying, there's a kind of theory on the internet about the post.com bubble in that the companies that survive were so invested in making it work that, you know, that was the foundation for the growth of so much of what we saw after the fact. And if it wasn't for these companies investing in ridiculous amounts of bandwidth we didn't need at the time, we would not have seen the mass proliferation later on. So it's an argument in favor of bubbles. So <laughs> last one for you before we wrap up. What excites you the most about what it is you're working on and keeps you getting up every morning to keep on fighting the good fight? Well, I think it's also those network effects. I think it's the fact that I get to meet people all over the world who are solving problems for others that I never imagined existed. And I love the fact that they can leverage the same technology to do it. And so I love meeting those people. I love having just one small impact on how they're actually changing other people's lives. And I love the the notion, I, I'm a big fan of technology. I think technology actually delivers tremendous amount of value when put to good use. And when I see with an open public network and when I see people building on it all over the world, it just excites me and it keeps me excited and focused on what the future can bring. And so we have you know, this notion of our mission focusing on creating equitable access to the global financial system. Well, that takes a long time. But when you, when you have lots of people fighting in your corner to make that successful because you have so many entities in the ecosystem that care about that. It's just like a truly awesome endeavor. And so that's why I do it. That's why I love it. That's why I came here. And I'm just so excited to be able to participate in the small way that we do in the growth of this ecosystem. Yeah. I honestly, there's sometimes where I look at that question, I think to myself, this is going to be very easy for you to answer. And I mean, given some of the impact we've talked about thus far and where it can go beyond that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure it was a very easy answer for you. Danelle, thank you so much for this. I appreciate the time. Um, and I hope everybody enjoyed uh, everything at this say. And, and, and again, getting to see some of the promise of this stuff come true is just fantastic. Finally. Yeah. Pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure. So that was my interview with Danelle Dixon of the Stellar Development Foundation. Hope you found that informative as always. And if you did, please take the time to check them out. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever is your podcasts. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com.
You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.